Well, good morning, and uh, let me just say what an honor it is to be with you all this morning. Uh, it has been an honor over the past few years to get to know uh, your pastor and his wonderful family uh, at Ocean City Baptist Church. We consider them to be friends of Ocean City Baptist Church now, and we enjoy having him preach to us each June, uh, and it is now a pleasure for me to be able to be here with you all and uh, to get to meet some of you who he has told me so much about. Uh, well, this morning I want to preach to you from a chapter that many people would consider to be uh, the greatest chapter in the entire Bible. And in fact, some uh, would say uh, that there's no question about it, this, this is by far the greatest chapter. Now, I would have to put it in my top two. I would have to say Ephesians chapter 1 is a contender for me as well. And uh, if you had to think about it, you might come with some other ones as well. You might come up with uh, Psalm 23, a beloved psalm for many. Psalm 139, uh, maybe uh, Isaiah 53, which we read earlier in our Scripture reading today. Maybe John 1 or John 10 or even the account of the crucifixion and resurrection in John 19 or 20. Ephesians 2 is a favorite for many, as is uh, Hebrews 11, the great chapter of faith. Uh, by the way, I think if you're eating with another believer after church this morning, this would make a great topic of conversation. If you could uh, just take three chapters to a deserted island, that's all you had for the rest of your life, three chapters in the Bible, what would they be, okay? That's all you have. That and whatever you've memorized uh, up until now in your life, what three chapters would you take? Well, I know that wherever you land in that discussion, whatever chapters you come up with, Romans chapter 8 would certainly have to be a part of that debate. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me there to Romans chapter 8. Pietist Philip Jacob Spiner was pretty clear about how he felt about Romans chapter 8. Uh, he said, if the Bible were a diamond ring, uh, then the book of Romans would be the diamond. And if the book of Romans were the diamond, then Romans chapter 8 would be that point where the whole diamond comes together and filters out the most beautiful uh, spectrum of light. Indeed, you read Romans chapter 8, and what you see is that all of its themes make it sparkle. Romans 8 begins with no condemnation in the very first verse. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and it ends with no separation. Nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In the middle of the chapter, we learn over and over again in Romans 8 that there is no defeat for those who are in Christ. Are you struggling with discouragement? Go to Romans chapter 8. Are you dealing with guilt in your life? Go to Romans chapter 8. Are you facing trials right now? I'd encourage you to go to Romans chapter 8. Battling temptation? Romans chapter 8. Struggling with the assurance of your salvation? Romans chapter 8. And the interesting thing is that Romans chapter 8 does all of these things for us without ever giving us a single command. That's right, there's not a single command in all of Romans chapter 8. In fact, few people know this, but there's not a single command in the book of Romans 
all the way through chapter 6, verse 11. Now, I know some of you are going to be tempted right now during the message to start reading the book of Romans to try to prove me wrong. Don't do that. Later on tonight, you can go and look at the book of Romans, and what you'll find is that there is not a single command in the first five and a half chapters of Romans. Then we have a few commands in chapter 6 and 7, and then a whole other chapter, Romans chapter 8, without a single imperative at all. It deals with discouragement and doubt and guilt and assurance, everything without telling us, do this, do that. Not a single time does it say for us to do something. What it does have, though, is the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8 is a chapter that is chalk full of the Holy Spirit. And after a, Roman, a, a chapter like Romans chapter 7, that's full of the flesh, that's devoid of the Spirit, well, it is a time for the Spirit in Romans chapter 8. In fact, Romans chapter 8 mentions the Holy Spirit more times than any other chapter in the entire New Testament, at least 18 times. Could it be that this is why this chapter resonates with us so much? It is dominated by the reassuring theme that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Romans 8 talks directly to the weaknesses that we all know that we have. And then it gives us the hope for strength from God to get through them. We learn that the Holy Spirit helps us to live a spiritually-minded life instead of a worldly-minded life. Romans 8 verse 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. It, uh, it tells us that the Holy Spirit helps us to live in righteousness instead of sin. Verse 10 says, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. We see that the Holy Spirit helps to put to death our old sinful ways in verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The Spirit gives us the assurance of eternal life in verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. He bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. In verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. He gives us the assurance of that adoption by God and our subsequent inheritance from God. In the very next verse, verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God. And fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. He is the first fruits of the resurrection, and He assures us of the glory to come in verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. We struggle with feelings of doubt fear. We struggle with temptation and worry, but the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. We, on our own, are weak, but He is 
strong. I think that's a big part of what makes this chapter so great. This is a theme that is dominant uh, in the passage that we're going to focus in on today in Romans chapter 8 as well. Because just like the struggles of doubt and guilt and temptation and worry are universal, so is the struggle that we're going to look at today, and that is weakness in prayer. At least I, I've got to assume that this is something that's universal. Let me ask you this. You don't have to raise your hands, but if I were to ask you how many of you were completely satisfied with your prayer life over the past 12 months, how many of you would raise your hands right now? Again, you don't have to raise your hands, but if I said, listen, I, 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 I want to see hands go up for those who can say, I am completely content with how robustly and consistently that I prayed over the past year. My guess is that there would not be a lot of hands that would go up in this room, right? In fact, one Christian speaker who does seminars on, on prayer took a survey about people's prayer lives, and what he found is about 90% of evangelical Christians do not have a meaningful prayer life. Now, I, I'm not exactly sure what constituted the phrase meaningful in this survey, but I'm guessing that it involves something substantial, something consistent, something disciplined. And if you'd have to put yourself in that 90%, I would say, no, I, I, I do not have a consistent, disciplined, meaningful, substantial prayer life. Well, then today's message is for you. Because Romans 8 tells us that the Holy Spirit helps us not just with doubt and guilt, not just with worry and temptation, but also with our floundering prayer lives. In fact, it's been said that there's no passage in Scripture that provides us with greater encouragement to pray than today's passage. And I think that's probably a fair statement. So, if you need encouragement to pray this week, stick with me today as we study Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. Follow along as I read. Romans chapter, uh, chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we, uh, as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Let's pray for wisdom as we look into this passage this morning. Heavenly Father, we ask for you to open our minds and open our hearts to both see and be able to understand what you have for us this morning. I pray that you would uh, guide and direct me as I preach. I pray that you would, uh, Lord, um, awaken those who, who hear, Lord, that they might be able to uh, not just listen, but also to apply what you have for them in this passage. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Although this is only two verses long, this is such an incredibly packed passage. It has a ton of details and dilemmas and difficulties to work through. But I'm not going to touch on all of them today because I don't want you to miss the forest for the trees. I think that that's the biggest danger that you'll face over the next few minutes. The biggest thing that these verses should do is to encourage you to pray more. 
So if you walk out of here understanding every little detail and being able to think through every little nuance of this passage, but you're not encouraged to pray more, then understand I haven't done my job. So instead, I want you to walk away from this passage today the way that I walked away from my study of it, and that is reinvigorated to pray more, inspired to pray even when you don't feel like praying, encouraged to pray even when you're discouraged about your prayer life. And for some of you, that might be right now. So, appreciate the richness of this passage, yes, but also see its three main points which should drive all of us to greater and deeper prayer. Let's take a look at them. First of all, we see in this passage that we should pray because we're weak. We should pray because we're weak. I love the fact that Paul did not write, likewise, in verse 27, uh, verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps you in your weakness, but rather the Spirit helps who? He helps us in our weakness. Isn't that the sign of a humble man? Here's Paul, the great apostle, the writer of most of the New Testament, right? And yet he's always up front acknowledging his own weakness. He saw his dependence upon the Lord in everything and constantly spoke of his need for him. We think of 2 Corinthians 12, 10, for the sake of Christ then, I am content with weakness, Paul writes, content with insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong, he says. He could say that because he realized his strength came not from himself, not from his own flesh, but rather from the Lord. And those who truly know that their strength comes from the Lord, by nature, consistently come to Him and cry out to Him for that strength. If we're honest, we would have to admit that one of the reasons that we don't pray as we ought is because we see ourselves as strong enough, we see ourselves as sufficient enough to make it through the day, right? We think we are adequate to the task. But Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Jesus didn't say, listen, everything's going to be okay, disciples. Listen, guys, you're going to be all right. You're going to make it, okay? But if you have any trouble, call on me and I'll be there for you, right? This is, this is Jesus' moment before he goes to the cross. He doesn't say, listen, guys, there's coming a time very soon when I'm going to be gone, but listen, let me know if the problems get too big and uh, if, if they are, then I'll lend a hand. No, he says, listen, abide in me. This is to say, have a daily personal relationship with me all the time. Abide constantly with me. This is the need for everyone from spiritual newborns to spiritual giants. This is never something that we outgrow, where we get to the point where now we've achieved, where, where we've, we've grown to the point where we can now say, all right, 
I'm mature enough in Christ, I can do it on my own. We have to see our need for prayer every day if we want to see God work in a mighty way. It's true no matter who you are. Think, think about Elijah. Elijah was a spiritual giant, but he was a spiritual giant precisely because he was a man of prayer. He was a prayer warrior. He prays, and then God answers his prayer by consuming his soaking wet sacrifice with fire, right? God doesn't do it on his own. Elijah prays, and God does it. Two other times he prays, and God sends down fire to kill two captains of Ahab's army and the 50 men that were sent to kill him. Elijah prays another time for a drought. doesn't rain for three and a half years. He prays again. It rains. Elijah was a spiritual giant, wasn't he? Wouldn't we rank him in uh, the top echelons of Old Testament men and women of the faith? And yet James says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He was not extraordinary. He was not strong in and of himself. He was weak like us, but God did great things through him because he constantly cried out to the God who is strong. Or think about Jesus. Spiritually speaking, where, where are we ranking him on a scale of 1 to 10, right? 12 billion, somewhere in there, right? And yet, what do we read in the Gospels over and over again? Mark 1.35, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Luke 5, but now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Matthew 14, 23, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. So if Jesus, who was the very Son of God, felt the need to get alone with his heavenly Father in prayer, how can we not do the same? I mean, are we to say that we are more spiritually sufficient than Jesus? Let me ask you, do you want to be used greatly by the Lord? Then I would say you need to begin by seeing your finiteness and your weakness so that you are then driven to cry out for His infinite strength. The call is not for you to get stronger. The call for you is to see your weakness and your finiteness and instead to draw from His strength. Hudson Taylor wrote, all of God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on God being with them. Now, you might say, well, I, I can't imagine being a giant for God. I, I, I'm just a regular guy. I'm just a regular woman. I, I, I'm not really someone who's going to be used greatly for Him. That's just not where I'm at. That's okay. Listen, this applies no matter where you are in the Christian life. From day one until you go on to glory. You want to stop that sinful habit that keeps getting the best of you? Realize that you are weak and that He is strong. And then cry out to God for His strength. Are you wondering how you'll be able to carry through that, that new spiritual discipline that you've 
resolve to do, that you are convinced is going to help you grow in the Lord, realize that your dedication is weak, but that God is strong and that He stands ready to give you grace day by day by day if you'll call to Him day by day by day for it. Do you want the power to say no to whatever temptation it is that you're going to face the moment that you walk out that door in just a few minutes? Then feel your weakness and feel your inability. And remember that when you are weak, then He is strong. But at this point, you might protest. Pastor Kevin, what, what if my weakness is my prayer life? What if my weakness is prayer? That brings me to the second point of this passage. Secondly, we should be encouraged to pray because we have help praying. We should be encouraged to pray because we have help praying. Look again at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. This is such an encouragement. This word help here is such a, it's a really long and strange and rare word. It's used only one other time in uh, the Scripture in Luke chapter 10, but it's got this compound idea of someone who comes alongside of someone, who faces them, and then bears their load, okay? It's, again, a huge, long compound word. It it means to come alongside of, to face, and then to bear a load, okay? So, imagine uh, helping someone carry a log, right? You see someone, they're dragging a log, and uh, you want to help them out. To help them, you'd, first of all, come alongside of them. You'd see, you'd, you'd come to them. You would face them and you would bear their load, you would bear their burden by carrying the other end of that log. This is the concept here when it says that the Holy Spirit helps us in our prayer. He does not leave us to bear the burdens of prayer alone. But instead, as we lift up troubles before the Lord, He comes alongside of us and He helps carry the load for us. Paul says the Spirit does so with groanings too deep for words. Now, again, this is one of those details that we could get hung up on for way too long here, but we won't. Instead, just a couple of things to note about this phrase. First of all, this is not talking about speaking in tongues, okay? Even most people who believe that speaking in tongues is for today, and just for the record, I don't, uh, even they would admit that not everyone is supposed to do so. A- after all, Paul says uh, in 1 Corinthians, there are many members of the body, and each member has a different function. Each one has a different gift. So we're gifted in different ways. But our passage today is clearly a promise for all believers, right? It's not just for supposed tongue speakers. Additionally, I want to point out that this isn't talking about some sort of private prayer language either, as other people suggest. Because notice that it's not the person praying who's the subject of the sentence, but it's the Spirit who is doing the groaning. The Spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words, not the person has groanings that are too deep for words. It's the Spirit's groanings. And so, this says nothing about a private prayer language. You, you, you have to 
have a theology and then read that into this particular verse. It's the Spirit's groanings that are too deep for words, not so deep that it turns them into non-decipherable words. So then, what is this saying? Well, there are several good interpretations, none of which, I would say, involve emptying your mind and getting caught up into an ecstatic state and mumbling incomprehensible syllables, okay? So, I would not encourage you to do that. Instead, I I agree with uh, several commentators who believe this to be an anthropomorphism. That is, it attributes a human attribute or a human emotion to God so that we might better understand Him. The Bible does this a lot. Paul uses anthropomorphisms a lot. Scripture uses anthropomorphisms a lot. The arm of the Lord brings salvation, right? None of us believe that there's actually the literal arm of the Lord, right? Uh, he, he inclines His ear unto our prayers, right? Uh, his eyes see all things. This is an anthropomorphism, and in fact, Paul's just used this twice. If you look back at verse 22, what does verse 22 says, say? It says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. When you go outside today, will you hear the creation literally groaning? No. It's an anthropomorphism, right? It attributes a human characteristic, groaning as in childbirth, in order for us to better understand what he's saying. And by the way, this anthropomorphism is common throughout here. He, the creation groans there, not literally, in verse 22. Then in verse uh, 23, the same thing there, right? And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And then here, the Holy Spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words. One author writes, Paul pictures the Holy Spirit groaning on our behalf to convey that He takes up the needs at the deepest emotional level, and He conveys our hurts and our cares to the Father's throne, all in line with the will of God. This should encourage us to pour out our hearts before Him. This indeed is an amazing picture, that the Holy Spirit is not just interceding for us in some disinterested way, right? We can often think of the Holy Spirit as just the third member of the Godhead, but no, He is He is interceding for us in a personal way, in an involved way, wherein He shows great love and concern for us. He groans on our behalf. Doesn't that blow your mind? God, the Holy Spirit, cares for you deeply and carries your burdens in a concerned way. Here's another mind-blowing thought about this uh, that I read. Here's what it says. In our prayer, God returns from His projection in nature to speak with Himself. When we speak to God, it is really the God who lives in us speaking through us to Himself. His Spirit returns to Him who gave it, and He returns not void, but bearing our souls with Him. Isn't that crazy? Now, I, I did the study for this, and I had to read that quote twice. So, let me read it to you again. Here's what it says. In our prayer, God returns from His projection in nature to speak with Himself. When we speak to God, it is really the God who lives within us speaking through us to Himself. His Spirit returns to Him who gave it, 
and He returns not void, but bearing our souls with Him. And so we should be encouraged to pray because we have this great help praying from God Himself, the God who indwells every believer. Third, we should be encouraged to pray because the Holy Spirit always makes our prayers right. The Holy Spirit always makes our prayers right. We see this in verse 26 when Paul writes, For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. And then we see it in verse 27 where he says, And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We do not know what to pray for as we ought. Don't you feel this sometimes? Don't you feel that? I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to pray. This new job comes up. Should I pray that God would give it to me, or, or does He not want me to have that? There's, there's a, a church member who's, who's maybe in the hospital and says, you know what, I'm ready to meet the Lord. Should, should I pray for her healing, or should I pray for the Lord to take her? Should I, should I pray for God to bring the right person along for me to marry right now, or should I just be content to wait? It's easy to see why we groan along with the Holy Spirit in an uncertainty over what we pray for. But the good news is that even though we do not know what we ought to pray for, the end of verse 27 says that the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Isn't that amazing encouragement to pray? Someone once wrote, the Holy Spirit is prayer's great helper. We are incapable of ourselves to translate our real needs into prayer. The Holy Spirit does this for us. We cannot ask as we ought. The Holy Spirit does this for us. It is possible for unaided man to ask what is for our ill. The Holy Spirit can check this. No weak or trembling hand dare put in motion any mighty force. Can I, dare I, move the hand that moves the universe? No, unless the Holy Spirit has control of me. Oh, the danger that we would be in if the Spirit didn't intercede for the saints according to the will of God, right? Oh, the danger that we would be in if the Holy Spirit did not come alongside us in an omniscient way when we know so little. We think of an illustration of this from church history. Augustine had been uh, a very wicked man in his youth, and before his conversion, his godly mother, Monica, had a, a heavy burden for her son. She learned that he was leaving home and going to Italy, and so she prayed that God would not let him go there. She feared that he would only get into worse and deeper sin. She did not know how to pray as she ought. But God did not answer her prayer as she wanted. Instead, God allowed Augustine to go to Italy, and it was there that he was gloriously converted. God did not answer her special request in order that instead He might answer her true heart request, which was the salvation of her son. Isn't that great? That the Holy Spirit knows exactly how to pray according to the will of God. Now, this does not give us free reign. 
This does not mean that we should just pray however we want. We are told in the Scriptures to seek God's will, and so we should be guided by the Scriptures to see what God's revealed will is. We should always be seeking out His revealed will in the Bible. But what about those times when we don't know God's will, and His sovereign will may differ from our prayers? Not when there's something specifically revealed in Scripture, but again, when it comes to who to marry, or what job to have, or where to move. This verse makes us confident that the Holy Spirit is going to correct our prayers and to line them up with the perfect will of God. Again, this should be such an encouragement for you to pray. Pour out your heart to God and know that His Holy Spirit within you is going to correct any of your mistakes and any of your prayers before they make it to God. Well, you know what this means is that you can spend less time wondering what to pray and more time just praying. Isn't that great? A lot of times we spend time wondering, worrying, what do we pray? Spend less time wondering what to pray and spend more time worrying. Stop worrying and pondering and just pour out your heart before God and trust that the Holy Spirit is to intercede on your behalf and make it right. This passage means you can stand confidently before the Father at the throne of grace, not only because you have a great high priest, Jesus, interceding on your behalf with His blood, that is, who makes it possible for you to pray, but also because you have another member of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, interceding on your behalf and making it profitable for you to pray. Jesus makes it possible for us to pray. The Spirit makes it profitable for us to pray. And by the way, let me just stop and say, if you don't have Jesus as your great high priest, then the only prayer that you can pray today is one for salvation. The only prayer that you can pray today is one of repentance and faith. Because the spirit that helps with our weakness is a spirit who indwells believers. It is a gift that God gives to those who place their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, those who are followers of Jesus Christ. The Spirit does not indwell all people. Contrary to popular belief, God does not listen to the prayers of all people. And so the first prayer that God must hear from each and every person is one of repentance from our sins, sins that have separated us from Him. We need to first be reconciled to Him because we have no right to approach Him. We have no right to come to Him. The first prayer God must hear is one where you ask Him for forgiveness from Him based on the cross of Jesus Christ. One where you place your faith in Christ and admit that He alone can save you and can grant you the access that you need to the Father. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So don't think today, oh, well, I can just pray and God will hear me, unless you have come first and foremost through the blood of Jesus Christ, been reconciled to God as your Father, and been saved by His blood. If you've never prayed a prayer like that, then please see Pastor Raymond, see me after the service so that you can come to have Jesus interceding on your behalf before the throne. And you can have the Holy Spirit within you then interceding in your prayers. Because then, and only then, praise the Lord, you can stand confidently before God knowing that He will then hear your prayers.
prayers. Jesus makes it possible for you to pray. The Spirit makes it profitable for you to do so. Listen, Christian. What this passage means for you is that when your prayers aren't answered, you don't need to get discouraged, okay? You can be content in the midst of God's silence. That's hard for us sometimes, isn't it? We are, by nature, pragmatic people. We're wired that way. We want to see results. We want to see answers. We pray. We want to see answers to our prayers. We ask for something. We want to have a response to that. But listen, what this verse means is that if you are in Christ Jesus, then you can be assured that the Lord heard you, but that the Holy Spirit is correcting your prayers and lining them up with the will of God. Whether that means that you'll hear an answer now or soon or someday or that later on in glory, you'll find out why you never saw the answer to that prayer. Paul experienced this, right? Keep a finger here. Look over at 2 Corinthians chapter 12 with me, if you would. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Again, Paul is so encouraging because while he's such a godly man, while we cannot imagine being him, we see the same struggles in him and the same trials and difficulties as we see in ourselves. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being, becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul prayed for this thorn to be removed. We don't know what it was, but he prayed, Lord, remove this thorn. Nothing. Lord, please remove this thorn from me. Nothing. Please, Lord, re remove this thorn. And finally, he says to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Paul didn't know how to pray. Paul didn't know what he should be praying for. And so the Holy Spirit interceded the right way, and the Lord answered in the perfect way for Paul. The Spirit interceded for him and helped him in his ignorance and in his weakness. Because of who the Holy Spirit is, this is what the Spirit does for us. When we think of all that the Holy Spirit is and the way that the Bible describes Him, we see why He is the perfect person of the Godhead to be our intercessor to make prayer profitable, don't we? The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of power, and so because He is the Spirit of power, He can help us in our infirmity in prayer. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of wisdom, 
And as the Spirit of wisdom, He can deliver us from our ignorance in prayer. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of life, and as the Spirit of life, He can end your deadness in prayer. The Holy Spirit is described as the Spirit of fire, and as so, He delivers us from coldness in prayer. And the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of might, and He comes and He helps us in our weakness in prayer. And so I would encourage you today, because you are weak, pray. Because you have the Holy Spirit's help, pray. Because your prayers will always be made right, no matter your ignorance, pray and pray and keep praying. This passage doesn't say, the, inter- the Holy Spirit will intercede for you so you don't need to pray. The Holy Spirit's going to Correct things so you don't need to pray. The Holy Spirit knows more than you do, so don't worry about praying. No, it says the Holy Spirit intercedes for you as you pray. And so, I ask of you this morning, pray, pray, and pray. However spiritually weak you feel, however little you know what to pray, however much you've failed in the past in your prayer life, Start taking advantage of this amazing spiritual blessing that you have and just start praying today. And then every day this week, realize I am weak, but God is strong and go back to Him for strength and pray again. Jesus made it possible through His death on the cross and the Holy Spirit now makes it possible through His intercession for you. So whatever you do, when you leave here today, Be encouraged to pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for these words of great encouragement and for the way that they, Lord, reveal our weakness to us, but not to make us discouraged. We thank you, Lord, that they they point to our ignorance, but Lord, not to make us worry. Lord, that these passages, these verses here drive us instead to you. I pray that every man and woman here would be encouraged in their prayer life, whether they've prayed little or much, whether they've been a believer for a short time or a long time. Lord, I pray that you would use this message and this scripture to strengthen them in their prayers. And Lord, I pray that if there are any here, Lord, who have never cried out to you in the prayer of repentance and faith, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation, that that prayer would be what they pray today, that they might come through Jesus Christ, their great intercessor, that you might give them the Holy Spirit to intercede on their behalf. We thank you, Lord, for this great gift, Lord. Help us to use it this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.